The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Asian equities kick off the second half of 2023 on the front foot with strong gains across the board as robust business sentiment in Japan offsets slowing factory output in China. U.S. stocks close off a banner first six months of the year, with the Nasdaq surging more than 30% to its best first half in 40 years, while Apple closes a session at the world's first ever $3 trillion company. Elsewhere, Tesla posting record production numbers in the second quarter, whilst deliveries surge 83% on the year as Elon Musk's decision to slash prices appears to have paid off. And uh, France sees a sixth night of nationwide riots as President Emmanuel Macron postpones a long-planned state visit to Germany to deal with the domestic crisis. Meanwhile, the U.S. announces Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will travel to China this week in a bid to stabilize fractious ties and avoid further miscommunication between the world's two largest economies. Very good morning. I haven't seen you this half a year. How I are know. you? Welcome back. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, sir. No, look, look, I, I ended up, you, you, were, you were doing other um, editorial issues when I ended up in a huge production row this morning. I mean, genuinely, the, the, the supervising producers and I have had a right old ding dong. Uh, I, I, and for once, I, I kind of almost got my way, which I was going, because I understand, and bearing in mind I was off doing other things last week, I understand you had a mammoth end of half sort of boards and coverage at yes. the end uh, of the last half we of the year. We did wallpaper. It's so I understand it video. was gargantuan and superb and virtually Pulitzer-like as well. But, but I wanted to move on uh, and think about things in a different prism, i.e. same story, but looking forward. Hence, thank you, graphics team. I know you've had a hard morning on the back of my gargantuan uh, editorial dispute with Jonathan and Katie and all the others as well. I was just hiding out somewhere just in case. Uh, you were indeed. Shelf with with, you, with your like, pith helmet on. <laughs> I know. So we're now looking at the start of half. We're looking forward for you as well. And, and I'll just go through a couple of walls of where we're at at the start of this half of year because already... Well, look at this, out of the gates, the funds are putting uh, money to work, the long players are just giving it a bit of a push. Shorts non-existent at the moment, and if they are existent, then they are suffering a bit. And we know, of course, there's a lot of uh, short interest out on the S&P because they just don't believe some of the valuations. But look at this, Nikkei's already up 1.7%. I'll come back to the Nikkei in a few moments' time. Shanghai Composite, 1.3% higher, putting behind some of the checkered data we've seen as of late, Kaishin in line-ish with expectations. Opening calls for Europe as well, which again, by and large, London being the notable exception, by and large, European equities had a very solid first half year. London 
paltry return, albeit if you add in some dividend yield as well. Not quite as bad as it looks on the surface. US futures at the start of the, the session, and it's going to be a, a quietish couple of days because we've got the all-important July the 4th holiday tomorrow. Uh, half day for a lot of traders today as well, if indeed they bother turning up as well. So it's a limited start to trading in terms of, of what you get. But once again, at the tail end of last week, uh, a big rally as well. Okay, so just a little bit of ground that Karen covered before we move forward, because the US markets in the first half of the year, uh, again, really stellar performance. Let's take a look at those US performers for the first half of the year. We've got that board? Superb. Right, okay, so look, it was very clear, and Karen spent a lot of time on this, uh, I know, so I didn't even have to see the show. Uh, 32% higher for the NASDAQ as well. Technology, the subsector, did very, very well again. Again, we can take a very quick look at the best performing sector, but you know what it was. It was technology up 42%. Communication services, again, technology. Discretionary consumer, Amazon, you know that. Uh, and industrials coming in uh, way, way behind as well. But look, before we move on to the next board, I want to make a couple of points. This rally is not just about the United States. We notably and importantly make no apologies. We spend a lot of time looking at US markets. They are a benchmark for a reason, but there were enormous numbers of other markets that had stunning, stunning rallies in the first half of the year. I'll just show you this board now. It looks utterly random, but it just points out to you the nature of the rally. Look at this. Look at this. You're looking at the screen here. Argentina. I mean, what a comeback. Up 111%. Local currency in these markets as well. Greece up 37%, putting aside all of its uh, shenanigans on the political front as well. The Russian market, again, they're at war, but it was up 30%. The Nikkei also had a big rally. And I've just chucked in Ireland as well there, because Jonathan wanted it in there for some reason. That was up 22.7% uh, as well. So really big rallies. Let's come back. So my point is we have had a global rally. This isn't just about technology. It isn't just about the United States, which gives me to my next point as well. Are we being complacent? Are we going too much gangbusters to the upside as well? And I'll come back to that because there are three big risks out there for four big risks out there for you as well. There is one, the concern about inflation, which has not abated yet. If you look at the core figures, still solidly above 5% in major jurisdictions, London, UK, even worse, above 7% as well. You are worried about interest rates on the back of that as well. And there is too many people out there who are very, very complacent, perhaps, about the refinancing risks out there. And then there's the small matter uh, of the lagged effect, the 18 months, which you've been talking about in the first half of the year, uh, of actually what that could do to a recessionary environment as well. So inflation, rates, uh, and, and then recession. But then that brings me on to the next point. And this is my, really my last point. And I actually want to spend just a minute on this one as well. And that is valuations. Now, I know that you lot out there look at various metrics. But when you see some companies on stunning, historic price to sales, despite their growth prospects, I know that you get excited. But what I just want to remind everybody again is one measure that is back-tested back-tested to 1870. And that is the, the, the cyclically adjusted PE ratio, the CAPE ratio, the Schiller ratio as well. And it, it really very rarely gets it wrong. And that's why I just want to point this out as well. There are six instances since 1870 when US valuations, and I'm back at the US now because I think it's the epicenter, six instances when CAPE has been at the kind of levels we're talking now, 30 or above, okay? Six instances, back-tested to 1870. Number one was 1929, where the market then fell 89%. Number two was 97 to 2001. Thereafter, the market shed 50% of its value. Number three, 2018, it lost 20%. Number four, 2019 to the first quarter of 2020, the market lost 
34% at its maximum. The last one we saw uh, was when we lost 28% uh, up to the second quarter of last year. And the sixth time, the sixth time is now. The point is that uh, you can go in either direction from here, and we've been crunching data over the years, and the long and short of it, the further you go back after a monumental first half like this, the more chance of uh, a flip back uh, that you see the market correcting at some point. More recent history suggests that you actually have a market that will continue these gains. So which part in history are we looking at? And I think that's the problem, because I think if you look at the economic fundamentals, we go further back in history than what we've had in recent years, and is that a precursor to how the market performs? But, you know, one of the other big elements here is that nobody wants to miss out. And what has jumped out to me, it's not just the companies themselves that are absolutely uh, on edge just in case they're facing a Nokia moment, that they get disrupted by the major technological shift we're seeing with generative AI and AI more broadly. So they are concerned about missing out on this rally, missing out on this next wave. Investors too are concerned about missing out. And there's two points around that investor side. Number one, that technology names, growth names, have been much widely sought now versus dividend payers. Last year, investors were playing it safe, going for the cash that was going to be paid out from some of these uh, more mature companies. That's absolutely flipped on a dime now. We've seen investors move back to their big technology names. The other component here, big investors getting it right, and there's a big piece in the Wall Street Journal today about SoftBank, whether it's missed out on this rally that has placed so many big bets, uh, call it $140 billion spent on 400 plus startups, yet uh, effectively just one generative AI name in the uh, mix. Uh, one out of 26 generative AI names. So big question mark as a huge investor in the space, have they actually missed out on this tech rally that we're seeing? And where it has played out, and this is the problem, it's not in private markets and public markets where a lot of this has played out so far on the NASDAQ, which is great news for the retail investor. The first half, the 31% higher, the NASDAQ 100, you've actually seen even stronger gains. So the concentration around just a handful of names, very evident as you take a look at the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100. The top performance for that first half, let's take a look. These are the names we're seeing that had the, that very strong outperformance. We mentioned it on Friday. It didn't change in that session. The fortune's still intact, 189% higher. Meta, 138% plus. Tesla, 112% plus. So effectively, these names scooping up a huge amount of value in the first half of the year. But it did stretch on right across the index to the likes of Amazon, 55% higher. Other big names there, Broadcom, Airbnb in the mix as well. The bounce back around the uh, travel environment uh, post-COVID, 49% higher. Netflix was in the mix. A lot of questions as to whether the company would be losing its subscriber edge. Netflix up near on 50% and Apple too. And I want to take you to the Apple story. It has become the first company, the $3 trillion market value. The tech giant briefly touched the level in January 2022, but Friday was the first time it has closed above the $3 trillion mark. What a way to finish out the first half. Worth noting, though, as we gear up for the next half and what comes next, a few issues with that mixed reality set and just whether they can hit any of the production targets. So not exactly great news flow coming into the second half after a monster start to the first half. Steve. Excellent. Let's get to Michael Yoshikami, founder and CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Michael, you've been listening to me prattling on and Karen making some serious salient points about technology in these markets as well. Why should our viewers ignore history or not, as the case may be? Because the history says we're frothy. Uh, well, we are frothy right now, and that's why I think you should not ignore history. But here's the thing. It's not a black and white issue. Just because you ignore history doesn't mean 
that you can't position a portfolio if, in fact, history is wrong, if we continue to have rallies in the market. So if you have technology that actually has earnings, uh, not some of these unicorn soft bank sort of invested startup companies, but companies that have earnings, that have solid cash flow that maybe are in AI, and you combine it with, as Karen said, some of the names that did well last year, which are more staple sort of names. I think if you have this barbell approach, there's a way to invest in this market without really taking more risk than you need to. What you don't want to do is chase all the high flyers that have done well in the last six months. Solely, you have to have your risk spread out. Market, Michael, as you all know, I, I'm well into my fourth decade of studying markets and I really don't understand them whatsoever. So you're going to explain something to me. Why is it that technological stocks are so exciting now when they were so um, concerning with higher interest rates? Now we look like we're higher for longer on interest rates and everyone is very, very comfortable about that. But when we started off having a higher interest rate cycle, uh, people were very worried about the ramifications for tech stocks. You know what's interesting about this, Steve, is people always talk about how technology is going to get blown up with higher rates. But if you think about it, um, why is that the case? Why does that have to be the case? Technology companies certainly are going to be negatively impacted if they're relying on private equity venture capital money. That's a problem. That money dries up because it's not free money anymore. But if you're a company that has high cash flow, big tech, I don't really see the interest rates are going to hurt you that much. As long as we don't go into some sort of deep recession, of course, recession, interest rates are all kind of tied together. But I just don't think you have to believe the narrative that all technology is impacted by higher rates, because obviously that's not been the case. Michael, to that point, we've still got Jay Powell talking about more work when it comes to the, the interest rate story that were not at terminal levels yet. What are the chances yeah. then that they get it wrong, that there's an execution risk here and we do tip into recession? Um, I think there's a, obviously there's always a possibility, but one thing I would share with your viewers to really think about is understand that when the Federal Reserve makes pronouncements like the one Jay Powell made, where they, he said they're going to have another two interest rate increases, those are just words. They're just words. And those words alone, that vocabulary alone can move interest rates, which is what it's designed to do. I am very, very hesitant to believe that we're going to have two more interest rate hikes because I do believe we're headed towards a shallow recession, not a deep recession. And I just don't think the Fed is don't think the Fed is going to take that chance to dip us into a deeper recession by over tightening. Michael, the tech story has been absolutely stunning. And I was making the point of the war that there is FOMO sweeping the market now. And that is from big companies concerned that they haven't got the AI strategy in order to invest as concerned. They haven't got the right in the uh, exposures in their portfolio. What comes next in terms of investors still chasing this story in the second half? Well, uh, the AI front, obviously, you have um, AI chip companies that have done very, very well. Uh, but I think that what you're going to start to see, uh, and again, again, back to this SoftBank example that you you gave earlier, they have all this money that they're throwing around in AI, and out of all of those AI bets, they have pretty limited success. I think investors are going to start to try to find AI in more established companies, and many of the big tech names in fact, do have pretty big AI presence right now. So that's a safer way to play that trend without having to necess necessarily go uh, the startup route, which may work out great, but as SoftBank is finding, that's not always the case. 
The first half, the missing link was China. We were waiting for the reopening theme to, to fire up, but it just simply didn't. What do you think the second half holds for China? I think it's going to be just as bad as the first half. I think that China um, still has its challenges. I think India is definitely muscling in uh, on China in terms of manufacturing. Um, and so I think China is really going through a difficult time right now. I was just talking to someone the other day um, in Fuzhou, uh, which is maybe a couple hours from Hong Kong, and they could not believe that the value of their property actually went down by 15%. That's unheard of in China. And much of China's economic growth has been tied to the escalation of real estate values. If that hits a wall or in fact starts to retreat, that's going to be a problem for consumption in China. And I think that's what they're facing in the next six months. Michael, thanks for getting us set up for the second half and for staying up late for us. Michael Yoshikami with us, founder and CEO Destination Wealth Management. Tesla delivered a record number of vehicles in the second quarter, beating targets and analysts' expectations, with over 466,000 cars delivered from April to June. The EV maker slashed prices earlier this year to help boost demand in key markets, including the U.S. and China. Second quarter deliveries were up 10% from the previous three months and 83% on the year, while production increased in nearly 480,000 cars. Tesla CEO Elon Musk previously told CNBC that dynamic pricing is a critical part of its strategy. We basically adjust our pricing to, to match demand. Um, and um, we obviously did a big price drop in Q1. But you know, now, you know, January is, is usually a terrible time for car buying. Um, so there's... The seasonality to car purchases um, with January, January, January is often the worst month. Um, so, um, so we did we did a big price drop, and then and then uh, then recently we, we did we did a price increase. So, um, as I mentioned to the audience, uh, the the reality is that uh, all companies do significant all car companies make significant adjustments to price because you've got the MSRP number. Um, and then if uh, demand is high, uh, dealers will charge some premium over MSRP. If demand is lower, they will, they will have uh, manufacturing incentives. So the, 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 you can actually see a very big difference uh, over the course of, say, six months uh, between uh, the peak to trough of, of all cars. It's just that t Tesla is so immediate and obvious and transparent. It's not a question of MSRP and then markups or discounts. Uh, Arjun is with us to dissect. Look, unambiguous good news when you sell more of the product you are trying to sell. But is there a downside in terms of which cars they are selling and the longer term profitability of this company? Or is that just too... Um, too miserly of me to even point that out. <laughs> well, look, two things about this set of numbers. See, firstly, clearly uh, those price cuts and that dynamic pricing uh, Elon Musk is talking about has worked. Uh, it has uh, uh, stoked demand there as well. And you're seeing on the other side, production capacity ramp up it is doing well as well. So those are the two key points. Elon Musk has said repeatedly uh, this year that the company is willing to sacrifice margin in the short term for a longer term gain in market share. And that's the game they're playing right now. Margin pressure will continue this year. That's without a doubt. The market is expecting that. At the moment, uh, investors in Tesla seem okay uh, with that, of course, uh, expecting uh, Tesla to continue to ramp up its market share. Where it's done well is two particular models, the, the, the cheaper, the mass market Model 3 sedan and the Model Y SUV. Now, clearly, 
over the long term, there's a couple of things investors are going to want to see here. What does Elon Musk and Tesla come up with in terms of new models? They haven't released a new model for a very long time. Uh, and so they're expected to release an updated version in North America of the Model 3 this year. But actually, what's the next big thing? And that is a big question. What does it mean for margins? What's the price of whatever comes next? Uh, and how, that, how that's going to boost and maintain Tesla margins over the long term. So that's a, a really big thing. But clearly for now, uh, there will be margin pressure for Tesla this year but investors at the moment seem okay with it. Okay. Do you think the company needs to have dealerships? I know this is a very uh, <laughs> old model and it, this is not one Tesla has, it goes <clears throat> direct to consumer, mm. right? But if you look what the stock's doing, what, 261, huge gain so far in the first yeah. half that we just highlighted, but it's still well and truly off the 2021 levels when it was uh, trading above $400. So the market is clearly looking at something and this year what we've seen, it will change from the company having a shortage of stock to now having inventory. And if it doesn't have dealerships to shift the excess inventory, what does it do with the stock? Yeah, I think, well, one thing you've seen with Elon Musk is that often a lot of people look at Tesla and uh, when you look at other companies like Apple, they can often compare with Apple in the sense that Tesla likes to control the entire supply chain. It likes to control the entire direct-to-consumer approach. And we've seen Apple move into a much more direct-to-consumer approach uh, in the sort of modern era. And I think that uh, Tesla's unlikely to go into dealerships anytime soon. It still likes this approach with consumers. Elon Musk likes his connection with the Tesla fans, and that's a big part of the story as well. I think for now, they'll continue to... But clearly, there's demand for these cars right now. In a market where other automakers are jumping in, there is competition, but Tesla still clearly taking the lead at this point in terms of the brand recognition with consumers and the fact that it has uh, come out to market you know ahead of many other rich competitors that is uh, something uh, that is a selling point just anecdotal my friend recently bought a tesla people who buy teslas they generally like to li like love them and like to talk about them a lot right. and if you've seen that and that clearly is part of the story well, as well i think they just like the fact that they can unlock it with their phone it's very gadgety isn't it it's very gadgety it's, it's like having a very large smartphone because everything yeah. is connected. What's like, the um, product quality like? Seemed okay. I, I can't attest to it. I'm not no, 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 I just wonder if you had some general comments. From I sat in it. It was quite nice. Uh, yeah. Good. It was pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, you can't keep Mr. Musk out of the time for where? He's not the CEO anymore, is he? It's uh, well, Mr. Yaccarino. That's right. Uh, Twitter has introduced limits on the number of posts users can view. A move that owner Elon Musk claimed was due to, quote, extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation. The Daily View limits initial set at 6,000 posts for verified accounts and 600 for unverified users on Saturday, later increasing to 10,000 and 1,000 respectively. Some users have speculated the decision could be related to other technical issues after outages were widely reported before the new what, rules uh, were put in place. What, uh, just, Britt, you're still here, Raj, and we've said goodbye to you, but you're still here. Data scraping involves pulling information out of a website and into a spreadsheet. Dedicated data scraper, the method is an efficient way to grab a great deal. So what? Excuse my ignorance. So all of these big applications, ChatGPT-style applications, rely on this sort of data scraping approach, uh, and, and Elon Musk doesn't want to give it for free. That's basically the bottom line. I, I, have, another, uh, I have another take on this. I, I applaud Elon Musk because it's going to do a lot of good for people's mental health who spend way too much time going through their Twitter and then they're going to get to a limit and then it's, a, it's like, I don't, you don't have children yet, good luck when you do, you do, uh, yours are younger, but the fact is they spend way too much time on their phone looking at social media. I applaud this from a mental health point of view. There you go, because it's going to stop people when they get to a certain level. No one else has said that so far. 
We'll leave it on that. <laughs> Coming up on the show, days of rioting and protests rock France, forcing President Macron to cancel a key state visit. We'll have more after the break. And after a stellar first half of the year equity markets, uh, in equity markets, what does the data tell us is in store for the next six months? Well, you can read up on that apparently on our premium service. It's called CNBC Pro. You can subscribe by scanning the QR code on your screen now. There it is. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. France has faced days of violent protests and riots triggered by the shooting of a 17-year-old by police in Nanterre. The teen's grandmother called for an end to the violence in a television interview on Sunday, while tens of thousands of police were deployed in an attempt to deter clashes. The number of arrests has fallen sharply in recent days, but the Paris police chief, Laurent Nanet, has said the job is not yet done. Of course we will stay focused. No one is crying victory. I hear the comments of some journalists on a decrease of the level of violence, and that's undeniable. But for the moment, that doesn't mean that things can't kick off again. So the deployment of police on the ground tonight and for the coming days will not diminish. The mayor of Paris suburb, Les Laurents, was targeted by a burning car rammed into his home. His wife and one of his children were injured. He says his wife will not be able to walk for three months after surgery, telling French media rioters wanted to kill his family. I would never have imagined that someone would threaten my family with death and that there would be an assassination attempt in this beautiful city. There is no doubt that he wanted to burn down the house. From the moment they realized that there were people inside because the lights were on, far from stopping, on the contrary, unleashed a wave of fireworks that was completely insane. The riots forced President Macron to cancel a state visit to Germany, which would have been the first by a French president in 23 years. Macron will meet with parliamentary leaders today and the mayors of more than 220 affected towns and cities tomorrow. Let's get out to Charlotte Moore. Charlotte, we were talking about this planned state visit to Germany on Friday as we wrapped up our coverage. Now events at home have transpired in a way that Macron is very much in damaged control. How does he manage the situation on the ground that seems to have flared up very, very quickly and beyond what anyone would have anticipated? No, absolutely, Karen. And it's kind of a bit of a déjà vu feeling because this has happened before in France. But you say it seems that for now, things after six days of riots and looting, things seem to be calming down. 70 people arrested last night. It was 700 a couple of days ago. So 45,000 police had been deployed uh, over the weekend. Uh, transport had been suspended, trams and buses uh, in the evenings in large cities and in Paris. Uh, and, but you had these pockets of unrest in different places. 
places. Of course, that came, as you said, in the introduction after that 17-year-old Nael was killed on Tuesday by a police officer and all these caught on video. Now, he was buried on a Saturday and the family had been calling for calm and justice since then. So it seemed that the mood had been coming down. As you said, President Macron uh, holding these cabinet security meetings uh, on Friday evening. He had to leave early an EU summit uh, to attend this meeting. He had another one last night. Not much came out from that meeting officially, but we know that he's meeting, as you said, the heads of the National Assembly and the Senate as well as 200 mayors after they've seen in their own cities some of this unrest. So uh, the mobilization for uh, security will, will stay for the next uh, few days. Again, the authorities trying to keep a message of that is quite firm after a lot of the looting that we've seen in different cities. We also try to appease because, again, this is the reopening of some old wounds. We saw scenes like this in France in 2005, again, after two teenagers were killed after running away from the police. And at that time, it triggered three weeks of riots, and it ended only thanks to a state of emergency. Um, it looks like for now, it might not get to that state, but again, with the, 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 the chief of the police was saying yesterday, they're not crying victory just yet. Things could uh, restart very easily. So they're watching this, again, reopening all wounds and raising questions and the debate on racism and inequality when, when the situation comes in those banlieues, in the outside of those um, big cities, those pockets of, that are poorer than a lot of places in the country. Police violence as well. Uh, you have an, uh, on average about one person per month killed by the police in France. is one every 10 years in Germany. So again, it's raising questions about discrimination of systemic racism within the police, etc., etc. Now, what does that mean again uh, for the economic situation where we don't have the cost just yet? We know about 10 malls were targeted across the country. 200 supermarkets, according to the economy Minister Bruno Le Maire, large stores from Nike or Apple uh, were attacked as well. So they tried to cancel. Well, we heard from the head of the hotel industry group in France. They said they mentioned lots of cancellations from tourists. They were expecting a record season this summer in France. Again, a huge part of French GDP comes from tourism. They said they're, they're seeing some cancellations. Uh, a lot of concerts in large stadiums were, were cancelled. The show by Céline, uh, the part of LVMH that was supposed to happen last night for the men collection, was cancelled yesterday. And of course, we're just one year before the 2024 Olympics. And that has a lot of impact on what's uh, for France uh, abroad. Uh, you had that cancellation by King Charles III just a few months ago. Now this cancellation of the trip to Germany, again, the first state visit by a, a French leader to Germany in 23 years of Big reboot necessary between France and Germany. A lot of tensions in that Franco-German engine. They were, talk they were going to talk about defense, about energy. All this had to be postponed as well. So um, one more headache for Emmanuel Macron had to deal with those tensions. Um, this was to be, we are in the 100 days of a reset of relationships in the country. We wanted to appease the mood after those tension reform protests that happened for the past five months since January in the country. We were supposed to be in a reboot, but it looks like some tensions have been flaring up again. So the next few days will be crucial if things continue to come down for the next few days. That, that obviously that's hoping what the what the authorities are hoping for. But uh, certainly some damage to the economy and some damage to France abroad. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.